everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative, storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hello, Brian. Hello, Brandon. We're here for lightning rounds. Um, you know, I think we're not exactly firing on all cylinders here. I've got a pretty good cold because we're back into that season. I'm not going to lie to the beautiful audience. We just came up with this topic about 10 minutes ago. But, you know, I think we do some of our best work when we uh, prepare for it poorly. At least that's how I like to think. So I thought we'd talk about uh, a topic that I don't want to um, undersell because I think it is important. Um, uh, nurses. Uh, we we know and love nurses. And I really think, that, you know, there's just no denying it. The, the very kind of core of what we do in the ICU, I mean, this is in most medicine, but I can't speak to anything else. Certainly in the ICU, it really is hand-in-hand hand working with um, bedside nurses uh, at, at the most basic level. They're kind of the interface for most of what we do between us and the patient. But, I, you know, I think a lot of us don't have a particularly good sense for kind of what nurses are all about, Um what their training's like, what their their interaction with the patients is is really like, and how to optimize it. You know, how can we do what we do better so they can do what they do? And, you know, from the other side as well, I know there's not a small number of uh, nurses in our audience, and I don't know how well they understand our thing either. And you have a great advantage here in that you are both. You know, you were a nurse before you were an advanced practitioner. So I I rely a lot on your, your insight here. Um, but I thought it'd be something interesting to get into. So I guess just in general, I'm curious, like what, you know, you were uh, an RN for a number of years, you worked in critical care, and then you went and became a, a nurse practitioner and, you know, worked in a similar place, but in a whole new role. And now you were working with, you know, other nurses. Um, what was that change in perspective like? I mean, were you struck by anything in particular about how your role was different and how you sort of saw the world? Yeah, it's a big role adjustment. So this is one of the things that I think new nurse practitioners have the hardest time with um, because you're, you're really changing your, what you do, but you're also changing your approach to things. And it's hard to navigate sometimes. Um, you know, one thing's, thing that I'll tell students or even new grads is, you know, when you're in a room and a bunch of stuff is going on, you need to just put your hands in your pockets and stand back because as a nurse, you're tempted to jump in and start doing things, right? Like starting IVs, hanging medicines, things like that. Um, which is fine, but that's not your job anymore. And it's easy, especially when you're new to fall back into that cause it's comfortable, right? I can do it with my eyes closed. It's what I did for so many years. Um, but it's, it, it is a definite role adjustment and I think that maybe sometimes that's something that nurses don't fully appreciate about nurse practitioners is that the role is very different and that's hard to, to make that change. So you'd say that in general, nurses spend more of their time doing things, whereas now you spend more of your time thinking about things? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, right? And I don't want to down... Yeah, I mean, these are all generalizations, what, of course. Yeah, and I don't want to downplay what nurses do and say that they're just task monkeys that don't think. That's certainly not true, right? But to a certain degree, 
when, especially in a crisis, right? Um, a lot of nurses can just kind of go on muscle memory because there's things that you do as a nurse that you just know to do and you just do your part, right? Um, and when you move into that provider role, you're the one who has to sort of make the, the kind of higher level decisions. Um, you know, and, and so I think as a nurse, I, I lost sight of that too, right? I, I would just sort of assume everybody did the same thing. Um, you know, but it's a lot harder, not harder. I don't want to make it sound like my job is harder than it used to be or vice versa. Um, it's just different, right? But making the decisions and putting all those pieces together. And what I tell nurses a lot is a way to sort of explain this is as a nurse, and, and most nurses I think will relate to this. As a nurse, when I was a nurse taking care of a patient, if a patient in the unit that was not mine coded, I knew what to do. You know, I was right there and I was super helpful. I could just start doing tasks. If it was my patient that coded, suddenly I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what to do. I can't function as well. Right. And I think it's because you feel that ownership because it's your patient. You feel the responsibility to make decisions and stuff, which is a different, different process. You start having kind of bigger thoughts about like, why did this happen? Right. That's right. What did yeah. it, did I do something wrong? Did I miss something? You know, I had a nurse the other day, uh, we had a patient in the emergency room who coded and after the code, the emergency room nurse was like, did I do something wrong? What did I miss? And I was like, no, you, you did everything fine. Right. Like sometimes things happen, but you, you know, people will beat themselves up about it. I've definitely had times where I feel like maybe we're standing around resuscitating someone and I'm, my mind is, is churning with all these things thoughts about what's happening and differentials and in weighing, you know, considerations of risk and benefit and what we should do. Um, and I realize, and I'm sure often have not even realized how little of all that I'm expressing. And therefore, you know, the nurse or nurses beside me, um, have, have no idea what is happening on that decision-making side. All they ever get, if, unless I'm talking out loud or something, which we probably should be doing, you know, create mm -hmm. more of these kind of shared mental models rather than these invisible processes. Uh, but more often it just like black box silence. And then it's like, you know, let's just start heparin or something like that. Um, and I can just, I can sort of imagine now that I think about it, how maybe confusing and obscure that would be for, for the nurses. Cause it, it kind of contributes to uh, an understanding of the patient and probably medicine in general over time. That is, um, it's, it, it's like, you don't understand why anything, all you understand is like often in these situations we'll do this, but not, you know, why, what are the pros and cons or the data or, or whatever. And I mean, I've definitely had a lot of, like a nurse asked me like, you know, are we going to do this or why are we not doing this? Because those are things that they often will see, you know, and then we'll try to explain like the thought processes, but it, it just makes it clear like what that they're, they're kind of being forced uh, largely probably because our failure to communicate into uh, an understanding of the situation that's based mostly on like pattern recognition. Like, yeah, you know, like, oh, patients who are short of breath get nebulizer treatments, you know, versus, right, you know, exactly. something like pathophysiologic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and again, I, I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but like when I was in nursing school, an undergraduate nursing school, that was largely what we were taught. I mean, we've got some pathophysiology, we got some pharmacology and stuff, but it was still fairly superficial. And um, a lot of it was, you know, if X, then Y type of things. And now it's not, like I said, it's not presented as quite so much of an algorithm. And, it, and it's, it's certainly not that all nurses just follow a pattern and that's it. But it is much more like that, right? And so I'll have nurses sometimes who will say, well, why, why are you doing this? Because normally we do this different, you know, right? And I'm like, well, right, yeah. And I see why that's confusing because, you know, in a sort of kind of broad, more simplistic way of thinking about things, we treat all, you know, COPD patients the same. Uh, and I'm doing something different here, but here's why. And so that's why I, I try to explain that rationale um, to people so that it doesn't sound like I'm just, I just don't know what I'm doing, right? That I'm just doing something crazy. Um, but I think that's one of those things, you know, as a nurse, when I was a nurse, I would have this conversation a lot with residents, right? You would call the resident, ask for something, and you'd go, why? Why is this so hard, right? I can see what needs to be done here why can't you? And you sort of think well, dumb residents, right? And then when you're on the other side of things, when you're a provider, you go, Oh, I get it now. Right. I understand why. Cause number one, there are some times where it's a simple, easy decision, but it's hard to make because it's your decision, right? The buck stops with you kind of thing. Um, and so it's like, well, should, I don't know. Should I start antibiotics on this patient? Uh, but sometimes it's that it's a more complicated, nuanced situation than you previously appreciated. Um, and both and, those and perspectives yeah, think, can be useful, right? Like we've all yeah. sort of seen the, you know, the stereotype really, but the truth to it of like the, an intern who's on their first day. And I mean, half of the things that happen are the nurses telling them what to do because they have the, too much of the other side. They have all this theoretical training, but none of the practical stuff. So it's hard right. for them to operationalize it and just understand like, what do we usually do? Like common routine things. How much potassium do I give for this low potassium? You know, what's a normal dose of Tylenol and that kind of thing. Um, and th th it, that's exactly what it's really helpful to have all that uh, like experiential training for. Well, we usually give this amount, you know, that kind of thing. And then gradually, as they pick that stuff up, they start to be able to apply more of the their theoretical training and understand, you know, this is a case that's different and, and that sort of thing. Right. And I was going to say, I think one of the things that being a nurse ha is really helpful and, and relying on your nurses that's really helpful is because nurses just know how to get stuff done, right? They know how the system works. And I've, I've said this so many times that I think there ought to be a required class in medical school where you just sit down and talk to the nurses for a couple of hours about how stuff works in the hospital, right? Because one of the things that, that frustrates me no end is we'll, we'll be rounding and the decision will be made to step a patient down from the ICU to the progressive unit, right? And it will be hours before the resident puts that order in because they're going about their day doing X, Y, and Z because they don't understand that there's like 11 different steps that have to happen to make that work. And so if you don't get on it now, it'll never happen, right? Nurses understand that because we've, we see the behind the scenes, the, the nuts and bolts of how the sausage is made, right? And so, so much, much of, I mean, we talk about on this show as well, if trying to understand 
some of the logistics that go into getting stuff done because a, a lot of balls that get dropped or things done imperfectly is not because the high level decision was wrong. It was because, you know, implementation. And it's yeah. hard to really optimize that without understanding. I mean, you can be the guy who just says, let it be so and let people work out the details, but it usually doesn't kind of work as well as if you could do it better, such as, you know, getting that order in earlier or whatever. Do you think that um, the training for nurses, you know, in school and then the on-job training you get and develop your experience, it it teaches different um, sort of values or, or priorities, you know, teaches that different things are important, for instance, than the sort of things you do now. Obviously, there are practical differences, like you learn how to use an IV pump, whereas, you know, we don't do that, mm. but, you know, in a more kind of general way. I think so. I think, and again, sort of painting with a broad brush, I think nurses are by and large trained to be more practical, task-oriented. Um, you know, I have students a lot who... Well, I'll sit nurse practitioner students, you know, we'll be talking about some concept or whatever, and they're kind of relaying some things to me that they remember from nursing school. And when we start getting into like the pathology and the theoretical stuff, they're like, oh, that makes so much more sense now. I was basically just taught like memorize these facts about this disease, right? Um, so I, I think that that's part of it because I think the job is more of implementing a plan, right? Um, yes, nurses definitely help design a care plan. Um, you know, and a lot of times I'll say, you know, what do you think is going to be the best way to get this guy up and moving around? Right. Um, and, and sort of, I'll give, you know, basic goals. Like this is what I want to happen. You figure out the best way to do it. Uh, and you tell me what you need to get it done. Um, but for the most part, I think it's the difference between sort of creating a plan and implementing a plan. Do, would you think, I feel like one of the things I've noticed, you know, I was never a nurse, but um, I was a EMT for a number of years, and I think probably a lot of this applies. Um, for whatever reason, uh, in that role, I think there's more of uh, an emphasis on doing things correctly, meaning not doing them wrong, um, so that you essentially don't get in trouble. <laughs> I mean, there's more of a, a, a system in place that is, you know, waiting to, to see that you made an error and then in one way, shape, or form uh, correct it, which may be, you know, something pretty punitive or, or whatever. And that it's kind of not so much the case in our role or for the physicians. Not that there isn't. Of course, there are... There are laws, there are medical boards, there are hospital administrations and quality processes and so on. Um, but there's not, uh, you know, if you, let's say you do something that is unusual, there's uh, a good chance nobody will, will notice or care. Uh, and if they do, you know, let's say your department head comes and says, hey, you know, what, what happened with this case? You could explain it and say this is your thinking and so on. Whereas for the nurses, it's more in the realm of like, you did this wrong, so you're getting written up or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I So most nurses, I think, will relate to this. In nursing school, it is constantly pounded into your head that the Board of Nursing can take your license away 
and you, your livelihood is gone, your family will be homeless, and your children will starve to death because you did something wrong. And, and, and as nurses, we live in fear of that because if I do something wrong, that's it. Right. And it's not, ironically, it's not, if I do something wrong, a harm could come to a patient, right? That's a secondary, that, that's usually taught as a secondary consequence. The main consequence is if you do something wrong, meaning you step outside of this established protocol, right? It almost doesn't matter what happens to the patient. If you, if you followed, if you did all the steps, doesn't matter what the outcome is. You did all the steps, you're good. Um, and yeah, I remember as a provider, you know, like you said, that you can sort of explain your thinking away and, and people go, yeah, okay. Right. I remember the first time I had to go before M&M, you know, I had done, you know, I'd been involved in a case that had a bad outcome and I was terrified, terrified that this was it. This was the end of my career. And the head of the hospital's M&M committee is like, explain your thinking to me, explain what you did. And at the end he's like, well, it sounds like you did everything the best you could. And that was that. Right. And it was like, what, what, you know? Um, so I do think there is that, and, and I think that plays into why you hear from so many nurses sometimes, well, policy says this, right? yeah, it's it, against it, our policy. It makes you wonder, you know, that. why these differences exist. And, you know, probably it's partly because the infrastructure that regulates nurses is, it's more clear cut, like what their, their scope of practice is, for instance, it, it's, it's more specific, like you can administer these medications and not, you know crack open somebody's chest, something like that. Whereas mm. for physicians and advanced practice people, it, it tends to, not that there are not some, you know, clear cut barriers. Like I cannot be the surgeon of record in the OR. Um, but a lot of the time it's, it's not, it, it's dependent on, you know, your relationship with your, uh, affiliated or supervising physicians. And, and really it comes down to, you know, like what is the scope of practice for a physician? It's, you know, diagnose, prevent, and treat disease, essentially. And, you know, a yeah. hospital can make that a little more specific. but is it, And that means that, can you do something wrong? Sure. But, you know, when did you do that wrong? Well, now you got to get into guidelines and data, and you can always make arguments about it. Whereas it's hard to argue as the nurse that, you know, it says you can do this and not that, and you you did that. So it's that's just like, that sort of is what it is. Like, the other day we were intubating someone, and... They ask if the nurse could push the induction meds in the paralytic, and they're like, "No, we're not allowed to do that." And that—that's in a way that sounds sort of goofy. I mean, it's getting—they're getting pushed. It's just a matter of like which person in the room puts their thumb on it. Right. But if if that is what the, the you know the board of nursing in that state or the hospital bylaws or whatever say they're allowed to do, then whether or not somebody regulates this, who knows? But certainly somebody could come and say, well, I, I see that you administered suctional choline to a patient. Now you're homeless and you can never work again. Yeah. It's hard to make that argument, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think you can see the difference in that as providers, we have guidelines, right? You look at, you look in the literature at how we should treat this, that, or the other disease. They're all guidelines. They're not requirements. There's no, there's no requirement that says I have to ventilate an arts patient at six per kilo, Right, there's a guideline, um, but if you look at nurses' stuff, it's protocols. Right, they have to follow. There's certain rules, and it's because of I think the way your licensure works. Right, the nurse has a license to do certain things independently, but a lot of what they have license to do is based on established protocols, 
And I think that hospital committees who write these things um, and the, even the boards of nursing, right, they're trying to sort of paint everybody with a broad brush because while like the succinylcholine thing, right? It, you're right. It makes no sense that if I'm standing at the head of the bed with a laryngoscope in my hand and say, go ahead and push the, well, let's say rocuronium because I don't ever push sucks, but I say, go ahead and give the rocuronium. It makes no sense that my ICU nurse colleague who has 10 years of experience and is a very conscientious nurse who's standing right there can't push the, the, the plunger in. But by the same token, you have to sort of account for, well, what if you're not in an ICU with a provider there? What if it's some situation where, you know, you're in some small hospital and there's confusion and somebody pushes rock without somebody there to intubate, you know, so they have to think about all these things and sort of, it's sort of the, uh, the least common denominator phenomenon, right? You have to prepare for what is the potentially what's the dumbest thing we can imagine someone doing. And now let's make a rule that says you can't do that. Yeah. It's focused on safety and right. that that's, and I, I feel like this, these practical things end up, uh, having spillover into, you know, mindsets and cultures and stuff. And that's why you might look at nurses and sometimes think like, why, why are they being so like rigid and bloody minded about something like that? It's, it's, you know, it's being built by the system they, they work within. And people will say like, we're not supposed to do that. And then, yeah, you can be like, are you sure? Show me the policy and stuff. Maybe it's not true, but ultimately, I mean, they're, mm. They're trying not, I mean, it's, it's a real thing, you know, this is not some imaginary thing. And if someone quote gets in trouble, it probably won't be you. It will be them. Right. Yeah. And you're right. A lot of times it is a, well, let's look up the actual policy because maybe it's not the policy. That sounds really weird. Maybe that's not the policy. It's just sort of been passed down like lore from nurse to nurse. Um, but at the end of the day, and I remember being a nurse in this position too, like you said, if I do something that is outside of my scope as a nurse or breaks some sort of hospital policy, it's my butt on the line, right? My neck's in the noose, not yours. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily like it, right? I, I might think it's dumb too, right? That, that you have to push the rock, not me. And I, I think that's stupid too, but the rules are the rules and I have to abide by them. You know, I, I think uh, one of the things I've learned through 20 years of being in healthcare now is that I think the that as you go sort of up the chain in terms of education, training, responsibility, et cetera, what you see is less and less regard for hard and fast rules about things. You know, and, and what I mean is like people who are employed at sort of a technician level are highly regulated. This is what, this is the rule. You have to do it. And if you don't, then you're, we're going to, you're gone, right? We'll just replace you all the way up to, you know, the chief of surgery who basically can do whatever he wants to do, as long as it's not unethical or breaking the law, because we go, well, yeah, I mean, we trust that person to make more judgment. Yeah. And then very likely that chief of surgery who perhaps has never was one of those technicians, or at least it was a long time ago, it could easily have, a little regard for that whole way of thinking. 
So when they come in and they they tell the technician to, you know, light a fire in the OR because some new protocol they're working on, uh, then just like, you know, why are you being such a pain in the butt? You know, just do it, man. It's like. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what a dumb rule. Why, why are you doing this dumb thing? Yeah. It's not their fault, right? Yeah. And, you know, there is a gray area here. It There will be times when there is disagreement on like what is the best thing in along this chain of command. Um, and then, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the kind of more responsible parties have to have the final say in these things. Just like if I disagree with my attending or they disagree with their chief or something, uh, just because somebody has to have the final say and that's how that system works. But that's not quite the same as saying that there's like a, a rule that applies to someone and you're asking them to break it. Right. You know, the other thing too, and, and I think this makes it a little more understandable why you'll find nurses who are leery to do certain things is that there's a lot of rules out there that you have no idea about, but you're held to, right? Like the, you know, like that about pushing rock uronium, right? I don't know. They don't, they don't teach that in nursing school because it's, it's dependent on where you practice, Right. So maybe it's against your state board of nursing to do that. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's against your hospital policy. Maybe it's not. Maybe you work in a place where that's perfectly fine. Um, but it's this whole like, just because you didn't know you shouldn't do something doesn't mean we're not still going to punish you for it. And so I think there is still this fear of, well, that's not something I've done before. So I'm going to err on the side of saying I can't do it. Or at the very least, you know, I'm going to check on it. But yeah. obviously the easier thing is just to, to say no. Because, yeah, you don't, you don't know. I don't know that it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's not. But Right. What, um, what, are the, what are the things that we do or could do as, you know, APPs, physicians, these kind of in this provider role that the nurses we work with um, appreciate? You know, what are the things that, that make you their their favorite NP to have on the service and I guess vice versa. I was saying, so it's been a long time since I've been at the bedside. And so some of this is just stuff that I vaguely remember from when I was a nurse. Some of it is stuff that I've had nurses specifically tell me. Um, it's really nice when you guys do this or whatever. Um, but I'll just say, I'll say right now, open up if there's nurses listening who have other thoughts to add, um, please let us know. Or if I'm off the mark, please let me know. Um, understand that it is just because I'm a little bit removed from your role, but I think the biggest thing you can do is to seek out, find that nurse, right? When you go to see a patient, find their nurse and ask them for their thoughts, right? So what's your patient, what's this patient been like for you? Particularly like we, we, our APPs change shifts an hour before the nurses do. So I work with the night shift nurses for the first hour and then the day shift nurses the rest of the day. So particularly if I can get there before shift change and I can see the night shift nurse and say, tell me what happened last night. Give me the scoop, right? Because there's probably stuff that happened that they didn't feel the need to like call the night team about, um, you know, and they have insight into that stuff. Um, you know, what's your, what's their neuro exam been like for you consistently over time, right? Because the biggest thing I think that nurses can bring to you information wise is they're around that patient 12 hours a day, whereas we may be only around them for minutes. Um, so I think asking for their input, asking for their thoughts on things is good. And then also asking, what can I do to help you? Right? So is there any orders that you need? Are there any orders that you need uh, renewed? 
right? You have orders that are about to expire that you need renewed. Is there anything that you can think of that would be beneficial for this patient that maybe I've forgotten, right? Like I've had nurses before point out to me like, hey, do you uh, do you realize that we haven't started tube feeds on this patient? Oh, wow, no, I hadn't, thanks. Or, hey, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they haven't had a bowel movement in a few days. Okay, great, thanks. I'll escalate their bowel ridge. Uh, or even, you know, my favorite is, hey, do we still need these Q4 labs that we've been doing for the last like five days because somebody ordered them and then kind of just forgot to cancel them? Um, so I think that asking, you know, what can I do to help your day be easier and help you take care of this patient, right? Because we're ultimately, we're all there to do the best job we can taking care of a patient. Um, so what can I do to help you do that? Right, because it's, I mean, that's not just a humanitarian thing. I mean, the, the less pointless stuff that you have your nurses doing, you know, the more bandwidth they have for, for being useful. And it's true, right? Like we've, you know, we've all had experiences when you're, you're maybe pre-rounding and looking at a chart, you're quote, getting to know a patient from their numbers and notes and whatever. And then you go and actually see the patient in the room. And in theory, you might've gotten a lot of that information from the chart, but in practice, it's just a whole different perspective. You're like, oh, I didn't realize the patient was hanging from the ceiling by their ankles because uh, th this whole thing that was been going on. So it and the nurse is the ultimate in the bedside observer. Like you said, they are actually there in an ICU, usually with just maybe one other patient for a maybe 12 hour shift. Whereas, you know, of course, you're in and out and you're seeing the patient. But you just don't have that same intimate kind of perspective and, you know, that's not the only perspective. Sometimes you can get too close to the patient and it makes you overemphasize small things. Um, but it, it's valuable. You know, that, that fluctuating neuro exam could be a really important thing to recognize. Whereas if you just kind of glossed over it and your only perspective on the patient is the, the two times you stuck their head in the room over the shift, I mean, you're, it's kind of, you're, understanding of what's happening is kind of just wrong. I mean, it's more based by your, your EMR screen than, than the patient. I, I don't think we can overemphasize enough how, the, the difference it makes to be with the same patient 12 hours a day, right? Cause like you said, you're going to pick up on subtle changes. Um, even if it's just things like, Hey, you know, earlier today, everything we did, you know, set this, this confused patient off and they really start, just would start howling around. And now they're much more settled and laid back. And I'm not sure it's a good thing. I'm thinking that they're headed towards a, a bad neuro change, right? It's very subtle things that, like you said, you're not going to pick up on. The, um, the flip side of that too, is that if you have a patient who's very difficult, right? A patient who's very confused, who's almost combative, right? We get to kind of breeze in and out, and see them. Um, and I, I don't think we sometimes appreciate how exhausting that is for a nurse to have to deal with that for 12 straight hours. Um, you know, and, and oftentimes there's nothing we can do about it. Right. Um, but I do sort of think about things like that when I order certain things. I remember when I was a new nurse, I had a patient, uh, it was a in a medical ICU who had uh, some liver failure and some hepatic encephalopathy, and the physician ordered um, all this lactulose, you know, which, of course, you know, is going to result in this patient who's crazy and combative having diarrhea all night long. 
And this other nurse who was in the unit with me said, you know, these doctors should have to come and deal with the consequences of these things they order. And I remember thinking, you know what, I'm perfectly happy to have them not do that. Because if it was up to me right now, it would be very tempting to just say, do not do this lactulose. But it's absolutely what the patient needs. So I think sometimes it is good to have that divorce of, you know, the people putting in the orders don't necessarily have to deal with the consequences uh, because it helps you to sort of be a little bit more dispassionate about what the right thing is. But at the same time, it's nice to have empathy, right? And be like, hey, I'm really sorry that you're having to deal with this. Um, if there's anything I can do to help, I'm happy to, but, you know, this is why we're doing it. Yeah, they're both a bias, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I can very easily say that the less sedation a patient gets, the better, which is true in many ways. But I'm also not the one who has to sit in there for 12 hours with this uh, agitated, combative patient. Um, and there's not really, I mean, what can I do? You know, that is, that is a truism in the goal is to give them as little sedation as possible, but they may need some. And there's kind of a gray area where, I don't know. I mean, if, if the nurse could give a little more energy or attention to watching the patient, then maybe we could give them a little less sedation, but they are a human being. They probably have other things to do. They have a, a finite amount of just like physical and emotional bandwidth to <laughs> tackle yeah. patients or get kicked or something like that. So I, we just, I think all have to be a little understanding of it. And yet, like you said, to be able to say like, geez, it is going to suck to get this patient down to CAT scan, but we just have to, <laughs> or, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I wish they didn't have to poop 10 times a day, but they, they, they just, they kind of just do. And, and no, we can't like not have them do that. So, right. you know, both sides have a perspective. Neither is really the, the right one, but. And I think a lot of it is just having realistic empathy, not fake empathy, but realistic empathy for it. Um, you know, I remember years ago I had a job as a nurse where in this emergency room where when it would get really busy, the, the nurse manager would come out and help. And to be honest, it was really less help than just having nobody. Uh, because it's somebody who, you know, he had not been a nurse. I mean, he was a nurse. He hadn't been at the bedside in years, right? And so he didn't know where things were. He didn't know the right procedure. So he was wearing a suit for God's sake, right? Like, um, you know, and so I think whereas I could very easily go, well, I'll let me help you because I was a nurse once, right? I'm likely to be less help. Um, certainly there's some things that I can do. Um, and I'm happy to help you turn patients and clean patients and pull patients up. Um, obviously, I have a whole list of other things to do, so I can't do that every time. But I'm happy to help when I can. I'm happy to help you t take a patient to CAT scan if I'm free and you need a hand. Uh, but I think a lot of it is just, like you said, just, hey, I'm sorry, this is really going to suck, but we really need to get it done, and here's why. And, you know, it just, I think as a nurse, I appreciated that rather than just the sort of cold, like, do your job. And I attitude. feel like looking at it, you know, to be more dispassionate, even as the your nurse as a, a finite resource and not wasting them on things. So it is probably not a big priority for us to maybe go through orders and re remove irrelevant ones because it doesn't matter to us, but it might make a big difference to the nurse. 
Like, yeah. do you need to stick this patient's finger every few hours for their blood sugar, which has been normal for a week? Maybe not. But by getting rid of that, that's like a whole like task that may free up multiple people. It was like totally pointless. So, you know, viewing that as like a valuable thing to do, even if the main effect is just like, you know, freeing up work for someone. Um, I think that's a very good way to look at it. Yeah, and going back to what we were saying earlier about protocols and stuff, I think we forget sometimes that if there's an order in, that nurse has to follow it, right? They're supposed to do it. So they can't just be like, it's pointless to do these finger sticks. I'm just not going to worry about it, right? Because they'll get in trouble for it. So, yeah, I think you're right. Cleaning up orders that no longer are really important is is very beneficial. And I think uh, I think it was uh, Matt Shuba who was on and we're talking about, you know, APPs working with, physicians and mentioned the point of like, you know, it's a relationship, there's, there's give and take and, and trying to support each other. And part of that is, uh, not just, uh, dumping or relegating on each other for like the bad stuff and trying to, to, you know, take the high road on stuff when you have the opportunity, but like being willing to go both ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's really easy to do that sometimes with nurses because they are at the bedside. Uh, whereas we can, often make ourselves scarce. <laughs> so for instance, um, dealing with family or even patients who may be in one way or another difficult. Um, we, there's a lot we can do to help each other out, right? Like it's many times nurses are able to give updates or communicate with these people, perhaps so that we don't have to. Um, but at the same time, you know, being willing to, if there's a conflict or something, to come in and, and sort of use your authority as the the guy who strides into the room to try to settle it, you know, without making it like, gosh, I'm sorry that, you know, the nursing is so shitty or, you know, something like that, yeah. but, you know, in a supportive way. Um, we could all try to kind of take on the hard stuff to spread it out. And that, like you said, it's not just a matter of like um, performative acts, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, help you change the linens, which, yeah, it's sort of helpful, but I mean, it's, it's probably not the most helpful thing you can do. Um, but you know, doing something that could have fallen on either of you, but you're sort of willing to take it on because that's part of what you do, the, the Mm -hmm. good and the bad. All right. What else should we say about nurses and, and working with them? I think it's just really important for us to remember that we're all part of a team and nobody's job is quote better or worse. Nobody's job is more important or less important. They're just different, right? You know, and I, and I think sometimes as a nurse, you sort of get this impression that you're, you're not as important as the physician or the APP or whoever. Um, and, you know, that's oftentimes, <laughs> that's oftentimes reinforced unintentionally, I think, by families who will ask nurses, you know, I used to get asked as a nurse all the time, so when are you going to become a doctor? Um, As if it was this sort of stepping stone hierarchy. Um, And and I think we still see that with nurses who are just, it's just assumed that you're going to become an APP at some point, right? Or or even go to MACT and go to medical school. Instead of having, showing the appreciation for somebody who is doing a job that is an important job and doing it well and mastering it. You know, some of the best nurses I've ever worked with are the people who were nurses 
for their entire career at the bedside, just dedicated to being the best nurse they could be and improving a little bit every day. Yeah, I feel like part of the issue here comes down to people blurring the relationship between um, hierarchy in a, a clinical or administrative sense and hierarchy in a status sense. Ultimately, in medicine, there is kind of a, a, a ladder in terms of decision-making. Certain people are making decisions and other people executing them. And by and large... People like you and I or, or physicians are making a lot of decisions that the nurses are the ones executing. And you can see how that would kind of make someone think that we're therefore better or more important or in charge or we're the, the bosses. And I think that is, at least at one point, how it was perceived, right? You go back 60 years, you watch black and white movies or TV shows and things, and you have the nurses who are all women they're all wearing vaguely pornographic outfits, being bossed around by tall white men um, who really were expected to be treated as superior to them, right? Mm -hmm. But there's, there's just no reason that needs to be true. You can have one without the other. And one person maybe making a decision and the other one is uh, following through on it. But that doesn't mean that they're better than them. It certainly doesn't mean they're their boss anyway. I'm not a nurse's boss. I don't hire or fire them. I'm not their their supervisor. They have one who is not me. Um, it's just that the way the system works, I may be writing an order for pantoprazole and they're giving it. Um, and that goes through, throughout the whole system. You know, the fact that I'm, quote, ordering a CAT scan and there's a technologist who's pressing the button and putting the patient on the table doesn't mean that I should cut in front of them in the chow line. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But you, you can sort of start to believe those things if you're if you're not careful. And I think that's where a lot of the trouble has arisen. And I know a lot of the efforts by the nursing community to try to reverse this idea of like status hierarchies and, you know, assert the I guess the pride or the, you know, the independence of nursing as a profession, I think is all very reasonable stuff. Um but if we can all just sort of separate these in our mind, then it would not be a problem. We're all doing different jobs, and that's sort of that. Yeah. All right. That's, we could probably wrap up this topic there. Not that we can wrap up our relationship with nurses, which forges ahead. Um, I, I really would be interested in hearing from any of the nurses in the audience, because, again, I know there are quite a lot of them. Really, we should probably, we should probably bring some on for their take. Right? We, I don't think yeah, we've had a lot of bedside nurses here. Um, why don't you reach out if anyone would be interested in chatting about some of this stuff. Um, otherwise, we will talk to you guys next time with some more clinical stuff. I think we have more, more surgical ICU things in the future. Um, and then maybe, uh, maybe we can get away from the sick you. Yeah.